0: Chapters five and six of the Turnpike House by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five A Shadow of the Past. Webster recovered from his fainting fit, but he was weak and ill. It seemed extraordinary that the sight of a pictured face should have had such an influence upon him. He himself could give no explanation save that he had been overcome by a feeling of nausea so after an apology he went at once to bed the party broke up and ruth retired wondering greatly at her lover's strange indisposition half an hour later she was seated before her bedroom fire in dressing-gown and slippers having dismissed her maid she indulged herself in a reverie with which neil webster and her chances of obtaining her father's consent to her marriage with him were mainly concerned she was aroused by a knock at the door and in reply to her invitation Mrs. Marshall entered the room at the first glimpse of that iron face. The girl remembered a slip she had made in addressing her lover by his Christian name. You are in love with that violinist," said the elder woman, sitting down and fixing her niece with a piercing gaze. How do you know that?" asked the girl coolly. She had been half prepared for the question, in spite of Mrs. Marshall's abrupt entry. In fact, for that very reason, she kept on her guard pshaw ejaculated aunt inez with scorn cannot one woman divine the feelings of another your eyes were never off the creature to-night mr webster is not a creature interrupted the girl angrily mr webster sneered the other why not Neil? you called him so to-night yes said ruth defiantly throwing off her mask and i shall call him so again you are right I do love him, and he loves me. I thought as much. And the end of this mutual passion? Marriage. Humph! I think your father will have something to say to that. My father will deny me nothing that he thinks will conduce to my happiness. No doubt. But marriage with this violinist creature hardly comes under that heading. You know nothing about him. I dare say my father does, retorted Ruth very probably said the elder lady with venom in fact he may know sufficient to forbid you entertaining the preposterous idea of becoming mrs webster you are a fool ruth because the man is handsome and a great musician i deny neither his looks nor his talents you have developed a romantic passion for him i should not be doing my duty did i fail to warn your father of this folly to-morrow mr webster will leave this house for ever Oh, cried Ruth with scorn. And I, no doubt, will marry Geoffrey Heron. I know your plans, Aunt Inez, but I'm not for sale, thank you. Don't be insolent, cried Mrs. Marshall, with cold fury. Mr Heron loves you. Very probably, rejoined Miss Cass carelessly. But then you see, I do not love him. Nevertheless you will become his wife. I would die first we shall see as she walked to the door i am going to tell your father of this infatuation the girl uttered an exclamation of dismay and sprang forward but mrs marshall had already closed the door i don't care cried ruth clenching her hands my love is strong enough to stand against my father's anger i love neil and i intend to marry him all the fathers and aunts in the world shall not prevent me and in this determined frame of mind she went to bed her hot spanish blood was aflame at the idea of contradiction and dictation nor for nothing was ruth cass the granddaughter of an andalusian spitfire and as such was her father's mother traditionally referred to in the family meanwhile mrs marshall equally hot-blooded and determined took her way to the library where she knew her brother frequently remained long after the rest of the household had retired he was there sure enough sitting before the fire and staring into it with an anxious expression at his sister's entrance he started from his seat for inez was the stormy petrel of the cass family and he guessed that her appearance at this unwonted hour indicated an approaching tempest what is it he asked irritably why are you not in bed because i have something to say which must be said to-night well what is it he dropped back into his chair with a look of resignation who is that man webster her brother's face grew black always the same woman he said angrily you will never leave well alone webster is a violinist and he comes here at my request because i admire his talents i know all that but who is he i refuse to tell you will you refuse to tell your daughter sneered his sister cass looked up quickly and something of dismay came over his face ruth what has ruth to do with him this much they are in love with one another they are secretly engaged is that a sufficient excuse for my seeing you to-night i don't believe it webster would not oh as to that i don't know what hold you have over him hold repeated mr cass rising and beginning to pace the room in an agitated manner what do you mean i have no hold in that case you should not have thrown him into the society of an impressionable fool like ruth i got the truth out of her to-night though i had long suspected it she loves him and what's more she will defy you and marry him that she shall never do he said vehemently i tell you she will and without your consent unless you can talk her out of this infatuation and marry her to heron there will be no need to talk her out of it mr cass said coldly webster will not marry her do you mean that he will refuse i mean that he will refuse he replied with decision and under your influence under my influence yes ah aunt inez drew a long breath for her suspicions as to the identity of webster were now confirmed then you intend to use the knowledge of his father's murder to influence this so-called webster what do you mean mr cass asked angrily exactly what i say retorted his sister i am not a fool if you are sebastian webster is the son of jenner who was murdered at the turnpike house i remember how his mother used to bring him here to beg for food he is just the same nervous creature now as he was then I could not recollect where I had seen him before until he recognized his father in that photograph. He did not recognize his father. Perhaps he did not know that the face, the sight of which made him faint, was that of his father, replied Mrs. Marshall. But his fainting was quite enough for me. I remember Mrs. Jenner. He resembles her in every way. He is her son. Deny it, if you can. I do not deny it, Cass said sullenly but for heaven's sake inez leave things alone or harm will come of it why in heaven's name did you bring him down here i never thought he would fall in love with ruth i brought him out of sheer kindness because i was sorry for the poor lonely young fellow i will arrange the matter rest assured he never will marry ruth i hope not said mrs marshall preparing to go i have done my duty no doubt but i wonder you dare speak as you do her face grew hard as stone i am never afraid to speak she said haughtily or to act i have set my heart on a marriage between ruth and geoffrey webster as you call him must go he shall go assented mr cass and satisfied that all was well his sister left him then he dropped back into his chair with a sigh and gazed again into the fire he foresaw trouble which there appeared no means of averting it was three o'clock before he got to bed and by that time he had determined how to act webster shall refuse to marry her he said and he shall go away she will soon forget him and end by becoming mrs heron with webster away all will be well Having made his plans, Mr. Cass proceeded to act upon them. He wished to see for himself if Ruth was really in love with Neil and to learn, if possible, the depth and extent of her feelings. With this scheme in his mind, he was excessively genial to the young man, and at the breakfast table on the following morning placed him next his daughter. A piece of folly which made Mrs. Marshall open her eyes. Ruth saw her aunt's look, and in sheer defiance, allowed herself to behave towards Neil with somewhat ostentatious friendliness naturally enough geoffrey heron became sulky while miss brown and mr marshall kept up a continuous chatter well inez said to her brother as they were preparing for church you are right he said i have no doubt now of her feeling for him and you will deal with the matter you can trust me i know what to do she was satisfied with this assurance and set off in a devout frame of mind and taking geoffrey with her showed him very clearly that she was on his side indeed as they returned to the house after the christmas service he opened his heart to her mrs marshall told him that she had seen it all along and that nothing on her part should remain undone that would aid in bringing about the marriage but she is in love with that fiddler fellow the disconsolate young man said oh my dear mr heron and mrs marshall smiled that is only a girl's love for the arts she admires his music as we all do and perhaps she shows her appreciation in rather a foolish way but i cannot believe she loves him at all events she does not care for me don't be too sure of that the more she cares for you the more likely she is to try and conceal her feelings why in heaven's name asked geoffrey mrs marshall laughed because it is the way of women she said do you think then that i ought to speak to her not just now wait till mr webster and his two fascinating violins have taken their departure then she will forget this this bohemian webster isn't a bad sort of fellow heron said apologetically in spite of his long hair he is something of a sportsman he has seen a good deal of the world too and he is plucky in his own way I like him well enough, but of course I can't help feeling jealous. You see, I love Ruth. I make all her Ruth to you. So much. There is no need for jealousy. Ruth will be your wife. I promise you that. You have me on your side. I won't have her forced into the marriage, he said sturdily. Mrs. Marshall brushed the suggestion aside. Neil's unhappy state of mind had taken him out into the cold the quiet thoughts of the morning had given way to perfect torture and he could in no way account for the change so far indeed as his nerves were concerned he never could account for anything in connection with them any more than could the physicians whom he had consulted he was the prey of a highly neurotic temperament which tortured his life and he had a vivid imagination which made him exaggerate the slightest worries into catastrophes an hour's brisk walking over the crisp snow brought him to a solitary place far from every human habitation the village had vanished and neil found himself in the centre as it seemed of a lonely white world arched over by a blue sky all around the landscape was buried in drifts of snow which dazzling white in the sunlight were painful to look upon he walked along some disused roads guiding himself by the hedges which ran along the sides shortly the sky began to cloud over rapidly to assume a leaden aspect and finally down came the snow he turned his face homewards anxious to get back before the night came on but as the snow fell thicker he grew bewildered and began to take the situation seriously suddenly as he trudged along a building loomed up before him through the fallen flakes it stood where four roads met and he guessed at once that it was an old turnpike house on a nearer approach he saw that it was empty the windows were broken the door was half open and it was fenced in by a jungle of bushes like the palace of the sleeping beauty at any rate it will be a shelter he thought and when the storm clears off i can get home only three o'clock he added looking at his watch i'll rest a bit he broke his way through the drifts which were piled up before the door and stumbled in the moment his foot touched the threshold a vague feeling of fear seized upon him the place was quite empty thick with dust and festooned with cobwebs there was not a stick of furniture yet it seemed to him that there should have been a bare deal table two deal chairs and a fire in the grate had he ever been here before he asked himself but he could find no answer to the question finally shaking off the feeling of depression which the influence of this house had brought upon him he lay down on the bare boards and tried to sleep away the time in this way by the degree of some mysterious power the man was brought back to the room where his father had been murdered twelve or thirteen years before and he was ignorant of the terrible truth the snow continued to fall steadily but there was no wind. the absolute quiet was soothing to the tired man and after a time his eyes closed for a while he slept peacefully as a child, then his face grew dark, his teeth and hands clenched themselves, and he groaned in agony. He dreamt, and this was the manner of his dream. He was still in the bare room, but a fire burnt in the grate. A table and two chairs furnished the apartment and made apparent the frightful poverty. The dreamer was no longer a man, but a child playing with a toy horse by the fire near the table sat a woman sewing then a man entered the man whose face he had seen in the photograph a quarrel ensued between him and the woman and the child the dreamer himself became suddenly possessed of a blind rage against the man then all faded in darkness he was in bed still a child again in darkness then once more he was in the room the window was open near it lay the dead body of the man the blood welling from his heart. At the door stood the woman, a knife in her hand, a look of terror on her face. Then came rain and mist and cold, and the dreamer felt that he was falling into a gulf of darkness, never again to emerge into the light of day. But the woman's face, with blue eyes looking from under a crown of fair hair, still shone like a star in the gloom. It smiled on the dreamer, then it vanished as he awoke with a cry neil webster sprang to his feet with the perspiration beating his forehead and shaking in every limb the dream had been so vivid was it but a dream here was the room here the open window and here where he had seen the dead body of the man black stains of blood marked the floor he started back with a cry as he saw it all and flung himself out into the snow which still kept falling in thick flakes away from that house he ran feeling that he had recovered the memory of his childhood his father had been murdered by whom that was the question he asked himself as he sped onwards through the snow oh heavens he kept murdering what does it all mean why was i sent to that house to learn this terrible truth why why but the snow fell ever more thickly and the young man fled along the road IN THE SAME WAY HAD HIS MOTHER FLED WITH HIM IN HER ARMS, FLED THROUGH THE MIST TO ESCAPE THE HORROR OF THE TURNPike HOUSE. CHAPTER Six, MR. CASS SPEAKS JENNY BROWN SAT IN HER BEDROOM WITH AN AGONIZED LOOK ON HER FACE WITH INKY FINGERS AND TUMBLED HAIR. MISS BROWN WAS COURTING THE MUSE. AS YET SHE HAD HAD BUT ILL SUCCESS, FOR THE MUSE WAS NOT IN A KINDLY MOOD if dear thou shouldst unhappy be remember me remember me murmured the poetess i think that will do for a refrain but how am i to begin ah with a sudden inspiration spring in the first verse summer and roses in the second then winter and dying for an effective finish and she began to thresh out the first lines the spring is flowering all the world She broke off. That sounds as though spring were a baker. I must try again. But before she could think of an alternative line, the door burst open, and Ruth rushed in violently, all on fire with excitement. Jenny, Jenny! she cried, plumping down on the bed, I've had a proposal. Oh! Jenny, quite phlegmatic, laid down her pen. Geoffrey Heron has you to be his wife? That is the plain English of it, I suppose, Ruth said impatiently. Of course, I said no. Of course, you did, remarked the prosaic Miss Brawn. For prosaic she was in ordinary matters, in spite of her poetic gift. You are in love with the master? She put this in the form of a query. Haven't I told you a thousand times? cried Miss Cass. I love him as dearly as he loves me. That's a pity. Why is it a pity? asked the girl, her face flushing. Oh, I know you don't like the truth. "'Jenny went on, calmly. "'But I always tell it, even when it is disagreeable. "'I don't think you are the kind of wife to suit the master. "'You are too impetuous, too fond of admiration. "'You would never be content to take a back seat.' "'I should think not,' cried Miss Cass indignantly. "'Catch me taking a back seat? "'I want to be admired to have an ample income and a big position. "'I am an individual, not a piece of furniture.' Marry Mr. Heron, then, advised Jenny, and you will have all you wish for. He belongs to a good county family and can give you a position in society. He has a handsome income, and with your own dowry as well you would be rich. But I love Neil, persisted Ruth, piteously. Oh, no, you don't. You think you love him, but you are only attracted by his charm of manner. I believe you want to marry him yourself, cried Ruth, pettishly jenny flushed for unknown to herself ruth had touched upon miss brawn's romance she did love webster and she would have given many years of her life had that love been returned but she saw no chance of this and like a sensible girl crushed the passion in its birth i never cry for the moon she said quietly and there is no chance that the master who loves beautiful things will ever fall in love with plain me but if i were to marry him i should be prepared to make myself his echo the piece of furniture you so scornfully allude to believe me my dear it is better in every way that you should reconsider your answer to mr heron i won't i don't deny that i like geoffrey very much indeed and he took his rejection so kindly poor fellow that i did feel very like changing my mind but neil neil ruth clasped her hands and raised her expressive eyes oh i can't give him up perhaps your father will make you no my father can make me do nothing i have not set my heart on and when it comes to the point i'll defy my father that is wrong no it isn't i have to live with my husband whoever he may be and i have a right to choose him for myself i choose neil murmured jenny shaking her rough head you say that now while all is smooth but if trouble came and the master was proved to be an ineligible parti, you would change your mind you shall see besides what trouble could come i merely suggest it trouble might come you know life is not entirely sunshine clouds will arise well when they do we shall see if you really love the master at present it is merely a girl's fancy why do you talk to me as if you were a grandmother cried ruth half offended i am young in years but old in experience said miss brawn with a sigh we are nine in our family and father as a civil service clerk has only a small income i have a lot of trouble to make both ends meet with no mother to help they all rely on my brain and my fingers and the responsibility makes me sober poor dear said ruth kissing the freckled cheek i wonder you write poetry with all your anxieties i have to and when you have to you do replied jenny somewhat incoherently i make a very good income out of my verse though what i get is not what it ought to be why some of my songs have made thousands of pounds but of course the publisher and composer share that between them i only get ten guineas or so what a shame yes isn't it however i don't want to talk about myself except to thank you for giving me such a perfectly lovely christmas as to your refusal of mr heron i am sure you are wrong i don't think so but if i were it would be perfectly easy to whistle him back at present i intend to marry neil and he is going to ask my father's consent to-night or to-morrow if there is trouble you shall see how i stand up for him you write romances jenny i act them and with a rustle of silken skirts ruth vanished jenny sighed as she once more took up her pen it did seem hard that this girl should have all the money all the looks and the chance of becoming the master's wife miss brawn was not an envious person as we have said but she could not help grudging ruth the favors of fortune which she seemed to value so little the christmas dinner passed off that night in the orthodox fashion mr cass made the usual speech the usual compliments were exchanged and the usual reminiscences indulged in it was quite a family gathering save that mr cass's eldest daughter was absent she was married and had elected to stay with her husband in london as a matter of fact mrs chisel such was her name could not approach her sister in the matter of looks and being of a jealous nature she did not like to use an expressive if somewhat vulgar phrase to take a back seat ruth was always the recipient of all the admiration and all the attention so her sister preferred to stay in a circle wherein her own looks could ensure her a certain amount of queendom mr cass referred to her absence drank her health, and considered that he had done his duty but he had yet another duty to perform towards his unmarried daughter it was his intention to speak to neil webster that night and once and for all put an end to any hopes that young man might cherish with regard to ruth she was the apple on the topmost bough which he could not hope to gather and it would be as well to inform him of this fact at once mr cass was in the main a kindly man and for reasons best known to himself was well disposed towards neil he hated to make trouble at this season of peace and goodwill but the imminence of the danger forced him to besides he had given a promise to his sister inez and he knew very well she would allow him no rest until he had done what she desired how dull you are to-night whispered ruth to neil in the winter garden after dinner what is the matter nothing i went out for a walk to-day and i am rather tired were you caught in the snow yes but i managed to get home all right as you see i sought shelter in the old turnpike house mrs marshall who had seated herself close at hand started at the words the turnpike house she said anxiously did you go in there yes mrs marshall it was my refuge from the storm strange she murmured thinking of the crime which had taken place there so many years before the crime in which the parents of this young man had been concerned it has not a good reputation that house she added webster fixed his eyes on her how is that he said oh don't you know cried jenny who had come up to them a dreadful murder was committed there a man was killed and the house is said to be haunted a man was killed repeated neil his breath coming quickly and who killed him before jenny could make reply mr cass who had been listening uneasily interposed sharply don't talk of murders miss brawn the subject is not fit for christmas come and play for mr webster thank you the young man said i do not think i can play this evening there was a murmur of disappointment but neil was firm i am not very well he said wearily my nerves again ah remarked mrs marshall in a low voice that comes of going to the turnpike house hush rebuked her brother under his breath hold your tongue inez and leave me to deal with this as there was to be no music jenny and mr marshall set to work to amuse the guests and even heron took part in the games but after a time ruth declared that she could play no longer and abruptly went away perhaps geoffrey's reproachful looks were too much for her equanimity at all events she sought the empty drawing-room and sat down at the piano in a few minutes she was joined by neil oh are you here she said coldly enough what is the matter nothing i have come to have a few words with you it is rather late in the day neil you were out all the afternoon and i was left to mr heron i did not feel well he said but i dare say you were happy with him indeed i was not oh neil she murmured looking up at him with eyes shining like stars he proposed to me to-day and i refused him my darling he cried and then drew back he was thinking of his dream and wondering if he had the right to hold this girl to her engagement ruth misunderstood him and pouted i thought you would be pleased i am pleased i want you all to myself all the same perhaps you do well to marry heron then you don't love me she burst out with wounded pride love you he repeated fiercely heaven knows i love you more than my own soul but i am beginning to think that i am not a fit husband for you my position is so insecure my nerves are in such a wretched state then again your father may object indeed i think he will why not ask him before you make so certain cried the girl eagerly i will do so to-night but i tell you frankly i am prepared for a refusal oh no there will be no refusal i am sure he will not put any bar between us dear neil do not look so sad I am certain all will be well, and we shall be married sooner than you think. Well, it all depends upon your father. Indeed, it all depends upon me. Then she rose from the piano. If you were a true lover, Neil, you would not make all these objections. If you do not care for me, I shall marry Mr. Heron. Ah, you like him, then? cried the young man with a pang. I like him, but I love you, whispered Ruth and dropping a kiss on his forehead she fled away before he could stop her. But when alone again she began to wonder whether she really did love him. He was so cold and strange in manner that he sometimes chilled her, and although he persisted in declaring that he loved her, she could not help feeling that something had come between them. What it was she could not think, and his refusal to explain piqued her. She, after all, had a right to share his secrets, and he declined to trust her. She was a very good-hearted girl, and affectionate, but she thought a great deal of herself, for flattery and adulation had been her portion all her life. Jenny had divined rightly. What she felt for Webster was not so much love for the man as admiration for the artist. "'Wait till he speaks to my father,' she said to herself. "'If he should consent, Neil will be once more the affectionate fellow he was.' That night came young Webster's opportunity of speaking to Mr. Cass they found themselves alone in the smoking-room somewhere after eleven mrs marshall had whisked her husband off intimating that she wished to speak to him and as a matter of fact she desired to tell him of her discovery as to ned's identity the communication she knew would not be a pleasant one for him to hear from his association with the young man's father besides which it is not always agreeable to remember that you have been the friend of a man who has been murdered Heron also had left the smoking-room early, so the two who were so desirous of speaking to each other had their wishes gratified. "'You are not in high spirits to-night, Neil,' said the elder man, who always addressed him thus when they were alone. "'And why not, seeing that Webster was his protege?' "'No,' was the gloomy reply. "'I do not feel satisfied with my position.' "'And why not? You have found fame and money, and—I know all that.' interrupted neil but i am thinking of my parents i do not know who they were mr cass was quite prepared for this indeed it was not the first time the young man had asked him and his answer now was the same as he always had made i have told you a dozen times that your parents were americans and died in the states i knew them intimately and so was the means of bringing you to england there is nothing for you to worry about why cannot i recollect my childhood persisted neil because you had a severe illness which affected your memory then there is nothing in my past that i need to be ashamed of nothing if you mean as regards your parents as to yourself my dear neil your life has been most exemplary i am proud of you are you sufficiently proud of me to let me be your son-in-law mr cass tugged at his long moustache i cannot truthfully say that i should like that he said does ruth care for you yes we want to marry with your consent that you shall never have why not i don't approve of the marriage for your own sake don't ask the reason neil webster started to his feet with a look of horror ah he cried then the dream was true my father was murdered Mr. Cass rose also pale and agitated. "'In heaven's name, who told you that?' he cried. "'I dreamt it in the turnpike-house.' "'The very place,' Mr. Cass said under his breath. "'It was a dream and yet not a dream,' continued Neil. "'Myself I believe it was a recovery of the memories which you say were destroyed by illness. "'Ah, now I know why you will not let me marry your daughter. "'It is because I am the son of a murdered man.' No, was the deliberate answer, you may as well know the truth. Your mother is now in prison for the murder of her husband-of your father. End of chapters five and six.